Welcome back, part two. Um, I want to delve a little bit deeper into the sugi that we started last week. Um, you know, if people would spend as much time planning their marriage as they do their wedding, we would be in a different place, a much better place. If people would just spend as much time planning their marriage as they do their wedding. So I want to talk about, before we talk about many other things that we have to discuss, namely what to look for, what not to look for, dating and the entire process that goes together with that, and of course the sugya of love. We could start with that and then go on to marriage, but that's actually the wrong way round. Because first comes marriage, and then comes love. It's imagine, I don't know if you ever heard a chassan or a kala speaking, and they're like, oh, I'm in love. Yeah, we, we, we really love each other. Right? We hear that sometimes, you know, the, you know, the chassan says that, the kala, the kala, they're together, whatever. You don't understand, we really love each other. We really love each other. And you think it's really cute, but it's absolute rubbish. Fast forward 5, 10, 15 years, whatever it is, right? You've got five children, six children, whatever it is later. All the challenges you've been through together. All the sleepless nights that you've had. All the situations that come up in all these years, that's love. That's real love. That's what it is. So before we start to explain what is love, we have to continue the uh, quest of understanding what's marriage. Because as we said last week, it's very much about perspective. It's very much about what are you expecting, what do you think it is. And many of us, and and I've dealt with this over the years, have a completely warped understanding of what marriage is. And then all of a sudden you get there and you're like, whoa, I wasn't expecting this. So it's very important to define the terms involved. You know, you can have a chasen and a kala, and you'll, you'll ask each of them to define what is marriage, right? And I've done this before with a chasen and a kala sitting at the table. I want each of you to take a piece of paper, define the word marriage. Now just write a few short sentences. It's unbelievable. Totally different. Each of them are going in, each of them are expecting two different things. Now that can actually lead to a dangerous situation if you've got two people coming in to one marriage, expecting and thinking two totally different things. So it's very, very important to get on the same page and understand what are we doing, what's the purpose. We just started this a little bit last week. We're going to try to continue it. So I'd like to start with an understanding of diamonds, because after all, you're going to have to buy a one one day. So at least understand a little bit about it. And let's talk about a diamond for a moment. Uh, let's talk about the diamond workings, how it actually works as a marshal for the Jewish home. So, the raw material from which a diamond is formed, there's no shine, there's no sparkle. It looks, and if you've ever seen it, like a dull, shapeless clump of earth. That's all it is. Now, at that point, the only person that can really understand and evaluate what it's worth is, is a diamond expert. Someone that really understands diamonds. So, He's the only person that can figure it out. So in order to bring out the inner shine, the inner sparkle, it has to go through a process of cutting and polishing. However, there is only one person that can do that. A person that has a tremendous amount of experience can know how to take this clump of earth and cut it with various angles in the right way to bring out the fire, the light, and the shine of that diamond. Now a diamond 
is actually one of the hardest substances in the world. The only way to cut a diamond and to polish it is to use a specialized diamond cutter, which is made from diamond. Because the only thing capable of working a diamond is another diamond. Now, there are two factors that make up a diamond's worth. There's what it weighs, right? That's a very, very important idea. How much does it weigh? And there's also how clean it is, how flawless it is. Those are the two aspects and factors that make up the diamond's worth. The diamond's cleanness, the way, the, how clean it is, how perfect it is, um, from all these flaws, from these dirt, whatever it is, actually increases its worth many more times than the diamond's size would. So, for example, if you have a diamond that weighs three carats, three carats, but it's got a lot of black spots in it, it's worth $5,000. If you take a diamond that's worth two carats, that's less than the previous one, but completely clean, this diamond is worth $15,000. But that's not the final stage. The merchant, the person that knows diamonds, that sells diamonds, that deals with diamonds, will then take this $15,000 diamond to the most biggest expert in diamonds in the field, who will then say, oh, I see the presence of a minute black dot right in the middle of the diamond. If you remove this dot, we will raise the diamond's value to double $30,000. Now, to remove the spot is very worthwhile because you are sacrificing about a quarter of the diamond's weight. But for the value of the remaining carrot, it will increase tremendously. Okay, so now we've learned a little bit about diamonds. Let's plug this in. Let's talk about the Jewish home. The Torah says, it's not good for a man to be alone. I'm going to make him a helper. I'm going to make him a helper. Okay, we've got Chava, we've got a wife, we've got a helper. How does that solve the problem? How does that solve the problem of man not being toiv, good, because he has a wife? The Torah doesn't explain. So the answer is, I think, based on what we've been saying. And that is, a person's inner point of goodness is very much hidden within him, like the diamond. Now, as we mentioned, a diamond can only be worked on with another diamond. That means the only way And this is the only way that you can really work on yourself to bring out the beautiful light within every single one of us is with a wife, with another diamond. That's the only way it can be done. Now, the process can often shave away a certain amount of what you think is important to you. Now, there's no place like your own home for shaping yourself and polishing your character traits. As we mentioned last week, that's what it's all about. Every person's private diamond polisher is his spouse, right? That's where your arrogance is humbled. That's where every midah that you think is good that you want is pressed down. Because that's where you're called upon to show the most self-restraint even when you're hurt. And to go on lovingly bestowing goodness, that polishes your soul like nothing else in the world. Now, a person can often feel, but I'm losing out. And we'll talk about that in a moment. You know, I'm always being kind, and I'm always giving, and I'm always smiling, and I'm doing so much. I have to shrink my ego. You know what that is for a man? To shrink his ego? It's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do. It almost, 
It almost feels like a person has to relinquish his very self. When a person feels this way, you should keep in mind that the weight of your diamond might be decreasing from the intense polishing that's taking place. But there'll be less material, but the value, the beauty, the light, the cleanliness will finally be there. Rabbi Tauber once said over that he went to go and be Menachem Oval by the Sklonon Rebbe, the previous Rebbe. The Sklonon Rebbe was uh, sitting shiva for his Rebbe son of many, many years. And as he left the shiva, the Rebbe said to him, Rabbi Zril, do me a favor, please. Would you please come to me at the end of the shiva? So he assumed that some, you know, avoided saklav or some urgent matter because his wife was very involved in, you know, Romanian Jewry and everything. And probably he wanted someone to help him with these matters. He came back after the shiva. And he said to me like this. He said, Rabbi Israel, the Rebbetzin has passed away. I'm now left alone. The Torah says it's not good for a man to be alone. I know that you travel all over the world. Do me a favor. Look for a shidduch. Find someone that I can marry. Now, the Sklonon Rebbe at that time was not a young man. He didn't even marry a woman that was of childbearing age. He didn't need a wife to help him do the washing, cook. He had plenty of gaboim, plenty of house bachram to help him. So, the only reason that he wanted to remarry, because the Torah said, it's not good for man to be alone. He understood that the Torah's true intention with this Pasuk is that a person can never actualize his real nature until he gets married. That's why the Kohen Gadol, for example, we know, cannot do the Avoid in the Beis Amikdash and the Kodesh HaKadoshim on Yom Kippur if he doesn't have a wife, because he's not complete. We know the Shulchan Aruch tells us that a chazan can't actually go up, Yomim Noroim, if he's not got a wife. Because marriage brings completion. We fulfill our true inner being we bring out the Shekhinah from within us. Without marriage relationship, you're flawed. You're a Balmum. The Zoya says this, Mufurish. The Zoya says that if a person doesn't get married, he is a Balmum. Because marriage completes the soul. That's what it does. The innermost level of a person's being, the ability to reunify with your soul, transform yourself from a half to a whole, that is marriage. That's what it is. And that's what we have to understand. The smack. The Sefer Mitzvah's cotton, the smack, brings in mitzvah It says an incredible thing. And this is all a level that we have to try to strive to. And this is something that I think is worth mentioning at this stage. When we're looking and understanding before we've even got to what to look for in his spouse. Again, what's the ultimate marriage? What's the ultimate relationship? What are we trying to accomplish? So the smack, tuition, brings in the mitzvah of He says, imagine if you're cutting meat. So you've got a knife, a very sharp knife in your hand. And with a mistake, the knife that's being held in one hand cuts the other hand. Says the smack, do you ever see the one hand that got cut taking revenge on the other hand that cut him? No such thing. So it's all one goof. And it's so unfortunate that people take revenge. I'll hear this from a guy. She made me wait last night 45 minutes until she did her makeup and she got dressed. She chose her shoes. Tonight, I'm going to make her wait. Let her, let her see what it's all about. <laughs> You're taking revenge on your same body? You're taking revenge on yourself? A hand to a hand? It makes no sense. That's not a relationship. That's a partnership. That's why in the Goyesha world, marriage 
is looked upon as a great partnership. Let's partner together. Let's make a family. We'll move in together. It's a great partnership. It's a very dangerous way of looking at marriage. Because a partnership is I've got my things. You've got your things. We'll do it together. No. It's here. It's about becoming one. The Zoya Kodesh writes that it's true in this world. We're all separate bodies. We have a separate goof. In the upper worlds, it's one neshama. It was one neshama before it came down that the Rabbi Nishram split into two neshamas that you're now finding all over again. Now that means you have to remember and bear this in mind. I hear complaints from guys all the time. Why is she like this? And what about this? And look at this and this problem and this issue and the shver and the shvigar and the all sorts of all sorts of complaints. Your wife was prepared specifically for you. Her parents, her upbringing, her school, her teachers, her friends, her experiences in life, everything she went through was a preparation so that you would marry her and you would come to Shlemus. You can't complain about anything that she grew up with because it's, it was a preparation for you. True, you may have to work hard to get there, but when you do, ask anyone that experienced it. It's the best feeling in the world. There's a very famous Rav Desla. Very, very famous Rav Desla. Does love lead to giving? Or does giving lead to love? Right? It's a very famous Hakira that Rav Desla asks. Which way around is it? In other words, when I love someone, do I give to them? Or when I give to them enough, I'll come to love them. Rav Desla proves it from the word Ahava. Ahava means love. Have, have is to give. And therefore Rav Desla says, there's no question. The more you give the more you love. That's how it is. The more you give, the more you love. But I want to mention something on this point. Because this is a famous idea. But I want to take it a step further. It's a beautiful idea and it's all 100% emes and it's true. But Rabbi Sai, if after you get married, you're still thinking about this with Desla, giving, 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 then there's a problem. If you're still always thinking, I'm giving to her, I'm giving to her, it means you're not there yet. There's no real love. I'll give you an example. A child. Imagine you buy your seven-year-old child an aquarium with fancy fish and plants. and It's a nice piece. Beautiful bring aquarium. He brings it home. He's all excited. He's set it up in the, in the lounge where it's going to be. He's plugged it in. The light, the oxygen, everything's pumping away over there. He's excited. He starts to feed the fish, right? And that's the rule, right? You've got to feed the fish every day, twice a day, morning and night. You've got to feed the fish. Do you think when this seven-year-old child, or any age child for that matter, feeds the fish, says, fish, I'm giving you, fish, look what I'm doing for you, I have to come here, I have to remember, I have to get here, I have to feed it to you. He doesn't think that way. You know why? Because he's so excited. He loves it so much. It means so much to him. There's no tircha. He's not even giving. That's what we're looking for in a marriage. That's the relationship that we're looking for to get to, and that takes work. But that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the relationship where we don't feel anymore, I'm giving to you. When, she, when the baby wakes up in the middle of the night, you know, the baby starts crying in the middle of the night. So you think to yourself, what should I do? Should I get up? I, you know what? Let, I'll, 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 I'll have an extra brownie point there. So I'm going to get up. If you feel that way, great, you did a good thing. I'm not putting it down. But you're not there yet. Love means you're doing it because there's such an achtas, there's such a connection, 
There's such a togetherness that you don't feel that I'm giving up something of my own. And you know there's people that have a lot of things in their lives that they don't want to change. Right? That, that's just how we are. You know, Chazal tells us, as we mentioned last time, Kol Odom she'in lo'yesh Odom. If you don't have a wife, you're not an Odom. What does that mean? Because a wife will cause you to change for the better. You know, people have many, many habits. So I'll just give one example, you know. Just imagine a guy. He's lying in bed. He's just finished his 750-page book. It's 1.45 a.m. He's tired. He needs to switch off the light. He needs to switch off the light. But he can't be bothered to get out of bed because the floor is cold and he doesn't like to walk barefoot on the floor. So what does he do? He looks around for something to throw at the light switch. So he, oh, oh, my shoe, perfect. Takes a shoe, throws it, misses. Takes the other shoe, awesome. He starts looking at the box of tissues next to his bed. He starts everything until eventually he managed to put off the light. Would you say he's a lazy guy? I don't think so. He worked pretty hard to put off the light. But he had it his way. He refused to budge. No, this is the way I'm doing it. I'm not getting out of bed now. Now you have many people like this. You have many people like this that they refuse to change. Part of getting married is the idea of understanding how to adapt. How to adapt to somebody else. How to adapt to different, different ideas. The way she grew up is different than the way you grew up. The way she sees marriage is different than the way you see marriage. What she saw in her home. I, for example, I, I, I dealt with a chassan a number of years ago. And I remember this problem. He says to me like this, this was after the Hasana. He said, the problem is that I grew up and my father did all the bills. He just did all the bills. My mother had no idea what was going on. She left it to my father. He was in charge of the bills. She grew up, he tells me, that her mother did all the bills. The father had no shaykhs. Now, there's no right and there's no wrong over here. But the, te- the answer is that because they're coming from two different places, that's where the problems can begin. Because each one has a different idea and they don't want to adapt. Marriage is about adapting. It's about changing. Because that change is for our best. It's for our good. How do we define the word love? And we might define it in different ways over the next few weeks. But I want to define it now just for one idea. What is love? You know, people talk about love. Goyim talk about love. Unfortunately, it's been filtered into our society in some way. This idea of love. What does it mean? What does it represent? Because if you have the wrong idea, in parentheses, in brackets, the Hollywood idea, then you're going to be very sorely disappointed. And again, I'm not just saying this. I've had people, and they've come down, and they're expecting what they've seen in different places. We'll leave it there. You know? And it's very disappointing. Because if that's all you know about what it is, then your whole perspective is that, and that's it. So I wanted to find love as I once heard it. Very, very nicely put. Love is the emotion that you feel when you focus on somebody else's virtues and identify them by those virtues. It's a pretty long definition. I don't know if Webster or... Google gives the same definition, but uh, that's a very good and deep explanation. Again, let me say it again. Love is the emotion that you feel when you focus on someone else's virtues and identify them by those virtues. Love is not about you. It's not about what you can get. It's about somebody else. That's real love. Real love is when you want for something else. You want One hand wants to make sure the other hand is okay. Right, the famous Misa of Levine, right? We all know the Misa. 
our leg is hurting us. Now, that wasn't fake. That was real. The, the, the marriage, the connection, the achtas that they had was so strong that me and my, you know, it's the same. Why would I want her to wake up in the middle of the night for the baby? Let me, let her sleep. She needs to sleep. Not that I'm giving her something and I'm giving up my night's sleep and the next day you make sure to tell her, by the way, you know, the, the, the baby was up last night. Yeah, it's, it's fine. I gave, I gave it a bottle. It was fine, you know. In a, in a, in a passing, you happen to mention that because you want to make sure that she knows what you did for her. Again, that means you're not there yet. And that's something to keep on working on. Now, when you love someone really a lot, tremendously, you'll only want to focus on their virtues, only on their positive ways. Now, that doesn't mean, and people get this wrong, does that mean I have to basically ignore all their non-positive virtues, should we say? Love is a choice that you decide to make. I'll give you a proof. As I once heard, you know, when you have a child, so when you have a child, right? Baruch Hashem, your wife is pregnant. It's very, very exciting. We're going to have a child. How do you know that you're going to love that child? How do you know? Right? How do you know? Maybe, maybe the, the, the child is going to be smelly. It's going to be dirty. It's going to be crying. It's going to be bothering. It's going to be annoying. Because you've decided, and there's no question about it, there is a natural love as well. But you've decided, this is my child. Of course I'm going to love this child. Right? Now, when you have a child, nobody knows better than you all the bad points of that child. Yes, you know the sweetness, you know the happy times, the laughter, but you also know when they get angry. You also know when they bother you. But for some reason, when someone asks you about your child, you always concentrate on the good. You know why? Because you love them. That's the focus. You focus on the positive. That's what a relationship with a spouse is meant to look like. It's meant to be. And again, this is something to strive to. This is something to think about. This is something to put in your perspective now so that when the time comes, that this is something that you'll know you have to work on. It's so important for a person to realize what a marriage is all about, what the relationship is all about. Because at the end of the day, this is going to define everything. And let me just kind of close with one last idea for today. The... There's a posse that says, and we say this for those, you know, for the men out there, we say t- for tefillin, What does it mean, Literally means, I will betroth to you forever. Right? Well, I'll betroth me, whatever, to me, forever. Now, there's a major problem with this chazal. It's a posse in Hoshea, Perik base. I will betroth to you forever. That's what we say when we put it in our tefillin, we wrap it around. What's the problem? What's it referring to? It's referring to erisin. What's erisin? Erisin nowadays we would call is being engaged. Right? That's what it was in times of Chazal. It was obviously for a lot longer. But nowadays it's called getting engaged. Could you imagine a chassan walking over to a kala and says, I would love to be engaged to you forever. The kala would say, what? <laughs> I don't mind getting engaged, but like forever? Isn't there like supposed to be a wedding at the end of this? And the chassan says, no, no, no. Let's be engaged. It's much more fun to be engaged, right? Engaged couple, it's kishmak. You get to go out. There's no hiding from everybody, right? For the Shalach day, you can go out to eat together. Everything is great. It's wonderful. He says, I want to be engaged. Marriage? No, it's not for me. It's not for me. What's the pshat? Why the Rabbi Shalom says, let's be engaged forever. Forever we're going to be engaged. That's what the Rabbi Shalom wants from us. What does that mean? When's the marriage? When's the next stage? I want to tell you an unbelievable Svasemes. 
The Svas Emes explains this in an incredible way. It, it, it blew me away when I heard this. Says the Svas Emes, what does it mean that the Rabbi Shalom wants to be engaged for us forever? Because an engagement, there's always that freshness of the love for eternity. When people are engaged, they'll do anything one for the other. There's, there's, there's so much simcha, there's so much happiness, they're willing to move mountains to demonstrate their love and their loyalty for the other spouse. In marriage, unfortunately, without properly working on it, that willingness eventually fades away. The Rabboni Shalom says, I want to be engaged to you forever because I want to maintain that freshness forever. When the mon came down in the midbar, Moshe Rabbeinu told over to Aaron Akoin what the Rabboni Shalom said, right, the Pasuk in Shemois tells us this, to take a jar of the mon and put it, put the mon inside and safe keep it for all generations. Now, we know that the mon fell for close to 40 years, says the Meshach Chachma. So what's the rush? What's the rush? The very first day, put it in the jar. Now, plenty, 40 years to go. What's the rush? It couldn't wait another 39 years to put it in a safeguarding to have a memory. Unbelievable. Listen to this Meshach Chachma. Says the Meshach Chachma, when the mon came down, could you imagine? Wow. Food from Shemayim. Think about pizza, you get pizza. Think about burgers, you get burgers. Sushi, whatever you want. It's right there. Could you imagine the kids were screaming up and down. Everybody was excited. It was incredible. It was an unbelievable, thrilling experience that everybody had. The Rabboni Shalom didn't just want Kalal Yisrael to remember the mon. He wanted them to remember the excitement that they had when it began to fall. He wanted to bottle that excitement. The first time you got your paycheck, if you ever worked, was exciting. The third, fourth, eighth, twenty-fifth time, it's not so exciting, it's part of it. That's how it is. Marriage can be the same. It starts with an excitement, with a feeling of uniqueness, with a geschmack. If you want to maintain the feeling, we have to learn how to invest in the relationship all the time. Because that is what continues to bring the Shechina to all of our homes. Next week, Be'ezah Hashem, we're going to try to go through the sugya of what to look for. I thank everyone for joining me.